Hey everyone, welcome back to the Call Her Doctor podcast. I'm Natalie. I'm an electrical engineering PhD student and the host of this podcast. This week I'm talking to Ariana from The Sassy Scientist and we talk a lot about her experience in those first few years of grad school and um, feelings you know, similar I think to a, what a lot of graduate students have when they start this transition from undergrad where you have your degree and you're qualified to enter the workforce and then you go into grad school and you kind of feel like you don't know anything and so we talk a lot about that and ways that she's overcome that and how she helps other students overcome that as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I will have all of my information as well as all of hers linked in the show notes. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Ariana from The Sassy Scientist, and I am really excited to talk to her today. She has shared a lot of stuff that really just um, speaks to me and stuff that I've been going through as a PhD student. So I am really excited to talk to her. And I guess, Ariana, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and just talk about your current program, what year you are in your program and some of that? Yeah. So hi, everyone. My name is Ariana. I am Filipino and Pacific Islander. I'm also a first-generation college student, only one in my family to really be in the STEM field. I'm also the sassy scientist on Instagram and a grad school coach. (laughs) So I run a coaching program in addition to um, working on my PhD in bioengineering. And I am in my third year, so about halfway through. So if you you don't follow her, definitely do. Um, I will link all of that in the show notes so that people can find you and follow you. So I guess to kind of start off, um, I would love to know what made you want to start the Sassy Scientist in your coaching program? So I never intended to actually be a coach. It kind of just happened you know, during 2020, while we had all this time. And I really started the Sassy Scientist for two reasons. Um, The first being like, I sorely needed a community because I just felt like I couldn't really relate um, to the people that I had, like, you know, in my program, like physically, like they were nice and everything. But I just really feel like I just couldn't relate to them. They couldn't understand maybe, you know, the things I was struggling with, the things I was going through and being like a first generation student, I couldn't necessarily like boohoo to my family, (laughs) you know, like, because they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, you're so amazing. And I'm like, yes, but you know, there are all these other things that I was going through that I felt like no one really understood. And the second reason, other than like needing a community, I felt like no one really talked about kind of all this other kind of like mental games that you play with yourself sort of in grad school. Like everyone wants to show you like how to write a good like statement or how to do good in your interviews and GRE stuff and things like that. And I'm just like, that's all fine and good. But like, once you get there, like, I felt like I was kind of just like swimming on my own, trying to figure things out. And so I just kind of wanted to document that experience all in the place because I felt like there's no way like I'm the only person thinking this so I put it all on Instagram (laughs) awesome and I'm so glad you did because I know um as I started my PhD you go from being like you graduate with a degree in undergrad and you you have a degree like you could enter the workforce and be a professional but you enter a PhD program and it's just like a totally different experience. Like you no longer feel qualified. You no longer feel like you have clear expectations. And I don't know if 
that was kind of your experience like did that happen kind of suddenly as you started your phd or was it something that just sort of gradually built over time it was like from day one i felt way in over my head like the bar of expectations was just way higher i think than i thought it was going to be and i really felt so prepared like i did undergrad research and i talked to like a lot of the grad students that were my mentors and I felt like I knew what I signed up for. <laughs> and then I get there and the I think on the very first day I was extremely overwhelmed. Like I wasn't even dressed properly to like be in the lab, like proper PPE and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm wearing the wrong shoes on the first day. How am I going to, <laughs> how am I going to make it these five years? Like it was, it was very overwhelming um, my first year. And I think that whole first year, it was just kind of like constantly building on on that feeling of being overwhelmed. Yeah, definitely. I I can totally understand that. It's it's a very quick like, oh, this is not, <laughs> you know, what I was expecting or prepared for. As a first generation student, how did you decide that you were interested in grad school? Because for me, so both of my parents have master's degrees, and so doing a master's degree was something that I always kind of figured like, yeah, at some point I'll do a master's degree later decided I wanted to do a PhD, but my parents kind of understood that path and were able to help me, I guess, in that way and support me and kind of understand what the deal is. You know, my dad has his degree in engineering. So from like the relatability standpoint, that has always been there for me. So what do you feel like, I guess, motivated you to go to grad school? And then how have you kind of built a community that can offer some of that support that you may not necessarily have um, from your family? Yeah, so I, like I said, I did undergrad research, um, but actually the only reason I did undergrad research was because initially I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor because I knew I wanted to be in the STEM field. Like I knew that was like my interest in high school. And I was like, I probably want to do that as an adult. <laughs> and so I pursued engineering um, and I thought I was going to go to medical school. And then I just really, that dream didn't sit well with me because it just like, it didn't light any kind of a fire inside me. Like it wasn't exciting. So I was like, well, we really have to rethink this whole plan now. <laughs> um, so then I got into an undergraduate research program where they introduced me to like hey, like you can still be in the STEM field, like you can get your PhD and um, like you're actually paid to pursue your education. And I was raised to really believe like, you know, education is filled with all the opportunities that you're going to need to like have a stable income and like a stable life when you're an adult. So I pursued that path because I think it kind of just aligned with my values now that I'm talking about it. Um, and I also like, I still know I want to be in the STEM field. Like I'm still very open to whatever that looks like, you know, post PhD. And as far as like finding a community, I think, you know, I finally just found people that I, I clicked with like that are in my program. And I mean, yeah, like I, I like who I like and I can relate to them because they're also going through similar things, you know, like they're also first generation students. They also are trying to figure out this whole thing. And I also became um, 
I kind of just kind of upkept my initial undergrad friendships because when I was an undergrad, I had like a really, really strong community of all these women who, you know, we we're all going through the same thing again. So I made sure to maintain that friendship, those friendships, even though I didn't get to see them very often. Like I'm always texting them on FaceTime with them, just making sure that I have them and we have each other's backs now, even though we're in totally separate places was something that became really important to me in grad school. Yeah, I love that. That's definitely something with some of the girls that I was friends with through SWE as an undergrad, just like staying in touch with them. And a lot of them are like in their careers now. And so it's really cool to get the perspective of like them and their careers versus what I'm doing and just like getting to learn about, you know, what their life looks like and stuff like that. So that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then I guess um, another thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, you talked about how you got into grad school and kind of immediately had these feelings of like, it doesn't, you know, quite fit or you, you know, it wasn't what you were expecting. When did you start to recognize what that was and be able to put a label on it of like, these are beliefs that I have about myself that may not necessarily be true and some things like that? Because I know um, you can experience things for a long time before you're able to put a name to it. And I feel like you kind of have to put a name to it to be able to work on it and move past it. So when did you, when were you able to kind of like put a name to what you were experiencing and then actually be able to work on it and try to move through it? I think it was probably like sometime in my first semester, or maybe after my first semester, I just kind of had I think I saw something on Instagram, you know, someone saying like, you created this life, everything you're feeling like, you know, like you are the creator of your own life kind of messaging. And I was kind of like, isn't it ridiculous that you work so hard and you dreamed about getting your PhD for so long and you're sitting here living what undergrad Ariana thought was the dream, right? And you're just sitting here like, miserable like how twisted is that you know because who you were maybe like a year ago when you graduated with your bachelor's would have been so ecstatic and excited and that's kind of the attitude that you should be tackling all this hardship with like yes it's hard but like I kind of came to the conclusion like well nothing nothing worth it is ever easy and like it's not it's not embarrassing that you're struggling. You know, I think I had a lot of shame around the fact that I was struggling too, because I thought I was supposed to be this, you know, high achieving kind of person. And then to be hit with all that failure so soon, (laughs) was kind of, uh, was kind of awakening, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I know you, you mentioned earlier about like, you know, your parents see what you're doing and they're so excited for you and from the outside, it can seem really impressive. And, but when you're in it and you feel like you're failing over and over again, it doesn't seem so impressive. You know, it's like, oh, I'm in a PhD program and that sounds great, but it doesn't always feel like you're, like you're that impressive. So that's, yeah, I definitely understand that. Yeah. And you're like surrounded by all these like incredibly smart people you know so you always want to compare yourself to them on top of that feeling so I just kind of had to unlearn a lot of those things that I was thinking I guess 
Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, when you came into your lab, were there a lot of students in your lab group who were like a couple years ahead of you? Or did you come in with a cohort of all first year PhD students? No, so my lab actually only had mostly like third, fourth, and fifth years. And they, they were all like superstars. They were all women and they were all superstars. So I all like as inspiring as they were, I also felt like I could never measure up to them. But then what I didn't realize was that I'm comparing myself to someone who had those three to five years to grow into like what they are. So I was like, I can't keep comparing myself to those fifth years because (laughs) like they're ready to defend. And I'm like, okay, we're just not there yet. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's when I started, we had, everyone was at least two years ahead of me, I think. Um, And even just their ability to use like the software tools that we use that I had never used before. And I'm like comparing myself to them, even though they've been using these tools for two years. Like, obviously when I ask a question, they're going to know it off the top of their head. They do this every day and I've never done it. And it's, but it's hard to get past that. Cause again, it's like you graduated with a degree and you feel like you should be more, you know, more qualified. Right. It was like, what did I work for during those four years? And I can't even like explain the basic background of my research. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. But like those people have had practice over and over again. And I just, I'm seeing them at their like almost final product stage. So like, just can't compare. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I guess other than like the the comparison part, what were some other specific things that you kind of caught yourself thinking or believing that you think maybe applies to to other PhD students? I think I, I always struggled with this belief that I am just not smart enough because I, like, while, you know, I can understand and read science and biology and stuff like that, I just I always felt like I couldn't think about it or talk about it in ways that I would see or hear other people like in my program talk about it. Um, So feeling like I was smart enough and feeling like I belonged here and that the people who let me be here (laughs) believed in me, that was something that I really, that I also really struggled with. Um, And obviously like it's still here, it comes up day to day but now that I'm a little bit older I can be like like I can kind of tell myself like look you're not like what you're thinking isn't the truth it's kind of like that that scaredy cat part of you that's kind of psyching yourself out for not being there so I know to like dissociate from that voice kind of Um, but those are two things that I really struggle with that I'm sure other people struggle with as well (laughs) yeah yeah definitely And then what tools, so you talked about kind of trying to like shut that voice down, but are there like specific tools or things that you tell yourself? And I know this is something you coach on, so you can share however, you know, however much you're comfortable with, but. Yeah. So whatever kind of negative thoughts, and I used to journal about this like every morning because that was also something that I struggled with. I had a lot of like, as soon as I woke up, it was just like complain, complain, complain. (laughs) I didn't want to live that way. Right. So whatever negative thought I was having, like, I'm not smart enough, I would just kind of like reframe it to something that was a little bit more motivating, a little bit more empowering, even if it's like, hey, I am smart enough, and I do belong here. 
And if that's too diff, if that was like too difficult to believe on any given day, I would just be like, well, I choose to believe that I'm smart enough and I choose to believe that I belong here. So I would always write down the negative thought and like in the next column, kind of rewrite that into something better for me to focus on for the day. Um, and I kept a journal on my desk in my desk space in the lab. So like whenever I was just kind of like spiraling in my mind, I would just journal things out and kind of make myself feel better <laughs> specifically. So journaling really helped with that whole process. Okay. That's awesome. Journaling is something that I've never like been able to get into. You know, I feel like it always comes up in like morning routines and stuff, but I like the idea of kind of having it with you throughout the day. Cause I think anytime I've tried, I've always forced myself to do it like in the morning or at night, but I like that idea of having it throughout the day. How do you feel like these beliefs about yourself and stuff differ from undergrad or why do they differ from when you're an undergrad other than being surrounded by people who basically have their PhD and, you know, are a little more advanced than you? I think undergrad was just, you had a lot more guidance and a lot more handholding. You had a lot more kind of tangible deliverables and feedback to know that you're on the right track and you can kind of definitively definitively see like an end to it right like I will graduate on this day I just need x amount of credits to finish my class or whatever so I think you could always see the light at the end of the tunnel easily as an undergrad but then when you get to grad school like other than your classes and like the milestones it's like day to day you're figuring things out (laughs) by yourself like you're you're you're, I said this before, but it's like you're the CEO, the CTO, the COO of like all the things happening in your project. So like trying to manage all that and feeling like you're making progress is very difficult. So like when you have those thoughts of like, oh, I'm, I don't belong here, I'm not as smart as that other guy, um, it can feel a lot worse because you also feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So I feel like that's the really big difference between undergrad and grad school. That's so funny because I was thinking about that just earlier today, like the pace of undergrad and how quickly you can feel accomplished. Like you can do a semester's worth of undergrad research and like do a poster presentation and put that on your resume. And like in grad school, it's years worth of work sometimes before you get to that point and you can just flail for months like there have been full months where I've not produced a thing and it's hard when you're in that like you know and I think one thing that separates good engineers from not so good engineers is like your ability to kind of hit milestones and have some output you know I think a lot of people spend time like thinking about it and documenting it and like at some point you kind of have to like get up and go and do something and that works really well in like a design based situation but when you're in research that doesn't seem to work as well and you just spend so much time where like the thinking about it is actually productive like you need that space to think but going from undergrad where you're producing stuff all the time and that feels productive to grad school where everything just takes months and months longer is it's a hard adjustment I think to make emotionally because we're so hooked on that feeling of like being productive all the time yeah and then I didn't realize undergrads have it nice because you're just kind of handed the (laughs) 
you're handed the thing to do, right? With like specific instructions, input, output, give it to your grad student and like they'll look over it. But then like in grad school, like you said, it's like you can spend months just trying to figure out how to get things to work. And then it's like a whole other journey to actually get the data from figuring out how to make it work. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it's it's a journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think having like that full ownership of stuff too. It's like there were times in undergrad where stuff didn't work. It wasn't really my fault. I could just kind of be like, okay, this doesn't work and hand that off to a grad student. And yeah, having that full ownership of like concept to data to paper is like a way bigger step, I think. A lot less handholding for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I also want to kind of talk about how your relationship with your advisor or your PI supports these beliefs or helps you kind of combat these beliefs that you have about, you know, not being smart enough and those things that come up, are they supportive in that situation? Or do you feel like you're kind of having to work through those beliefs in spite of them? I feel like my PI is definitely more uplifting and motivating and supportive than a lot of like the horror stories I hear. (laughs) Um, my PI whenever I always go into a meeting with her like super nervous like oh my gosh she's gonna think I didn't do enough you know Um, but I always leave feeling like oh like she believes in me she still like wants me around like you know like I so I think she definitely helps me indirectly just with how much she respects me and supports me she also I think a really big part of why I feel so supported by her is because Normally in my program, people would rotate in labs before they pick um, whoever they want to match with, but she kind of committed to me like right out of the bat. So I didn't have to rotate. She was kind of just like, I see the potential in you to be a good student in my lab. So you can already join, which kind of boosts my confidence and, you know, like just a little bit. (laughs) So I think, um, I think she helps. She definitely helps. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Is that something that you looked for in an advisor when you were applying to grad schools? Yes, because my undergrad advisor, he was very hands-off, but he was also very supportive in his own way. So the lab dynamics that I had in my undergrad lab was very good and it was a happy environment. And I wanted, well, part of the reason I chose the program that I did was because I felt that same dynamic in the department overall, like when I got to visit and like meet people. Um, So honestly, I was more so worried about having a nice advisor versus like being interested in the research. Like I was very open to like a lot of things in terms of research. So I was kind of like, I can learn to love the research, but not so sure if I can learn to love an advisor who would not be a good fit for me. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And that's a question I get a lot as I'm helping people with applications and stuff is how do you get a feel for the culture of a group and the culture of a school? And I think you really do have to pay attention to that, like as you're speaking to the advisor in the interview process and the students and everything, because that's, I think you nailed it. Like the advisor advisee relationship, I think is more important than being in love with the research because you'll graduate And like, you'll go into the field and have a job that may not necessarily be specifically about your research, you know, and you can make those, those changes later on. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And it's like a marriage because I mean, you're, <laughs> you're dedicating, if you go to pursue a PhD, you're dedicating like five-ish years to someone. So that's like mm-hmm. talking to them, seeing them, getting feedback from them all the time. And I made sure to pay attention to the grad students, especially, and like ask them like, hey, is there, are there any like professors that should be concerned about, you know, but yeah. Like things like that. I think the grad students are always more willing to be honest, you know, like about how many hours they have to work and things like that. So I always just say, ask the grad students. They're like, <laughs> they're gonna be a lot more honest than the advisors. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know for me, like a shift that I had maybe half a year into my program is like I felt like I went into all of my one-on-one meetings with my advisor as like trying to prove myself and prove what I had done and that kind of thing. Um, And just, you know, that belief that they were trying to like always trying to measure how much I had done. And I don't think that that's the case. And about six months in, I was like, oh no, this meeting, this one-on-one meeting is like a resource that I have every month to get input and to get advice. And, you know, I think that's a sign of having the right advisor is like the way that you kind of view those those meetings. Cause he definitely was there to be supportive and offer advice, but I was approaching it with this fear of like, I have to prove what I've done over the last month and that kind of thing. And yeah, I just, that relationship is so important. Yeah. I, I think I was like that too. Like when I first started, I would always be like, Oh my God, I don't have any data like for you. But now when things don't work, I'm kind of like, look, this doesn't work. And you really need to help me figure out why it's not working <laughs> because I'm running out of ideas here. And I, like you definitely need to be comfortable with, you know, being in that kind of environment with your advisor. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, it's like, I went in with sort of these assumptions that I had to prove myself and that totally wasn't the case, but I just didn't spend enough time like approaching it in like a calmer way to figure out that that was okay. Like it took a while for me to not approach it as this like scared, I have to prove myself kind of thing, you know, and I think the more you can kind of like, I don't want to say suss out, but I can't think of a better (laughs) way to say it, but the more you can kind of like suss out like your advisor's way of working and communicate that, you know, the support that you need from them and stuff, that's been something that I've kind of been learning over the last year for sure. Yeah. I kind of have to stop myself sometimes and I'm like, my advisor didn't say this. I'm saying this because I think that she's saying this, but in reality, like she never said what I'm thinking, you know, and what I'm thinking may not necessarily be the most positive thought. So again, like dissociating those voices is super important. Yes. I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Do you have any podcasts or books or anything that, you know, not even necessarily engineering related, but that have kind of helped you make these mindset shifts or taught you how to do this or provided other tools for that? Yeah, there's this, she's also really big on Instagram. Her name is Manifestation Babe. So I really love her podcasts there. I think, you know, she's like kind of a reason I think I started doing all this work too. Um, I really love her podcasts and her content. I think it's very, it's, it makes you kind of think about how you're thinking about your life and living your life, which is what sort of started me down this journey. Um, and I think in general, oh, I really love this podcast called The Skinny Confidential, just because like personally, I'm very into like 
wellness and business and productivity and like pop culture. And I feel like they cover all of that <laughs> broadly. So things like that. Um, those two are like two of my favorite podcasts. That's so funny. Manifestation Babe is the first, maybe the first podcast I ever listened to. And definitely the first thing that introduced me to kind of that, like I'd always heard like, oh, it's, you know, all about your mindset and you just have to believe that you're going to have a good day. And I was like, that's a load of bull. Like my day is completely dependent on all of these other factors. And, you know, when I graduated and kind of finally had like that mental space to be like, oh no, I can decide that I'm going to have a good day. Like that's a real thing. I can (laughs) make that decision and then take the actions that make it a good day. Like that was kind of my first introduction where I was like, oh no, this makes sense. This isn't just tell- somebody telling me to have an attitude adjustment. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's not all just lies. I'm really in control like, yeah. of my life and how I live. Yeah. She was a really big resource um, and still is kind of on this journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Skinny Confidential, I've listened to a few of those, but that's one where I feel like once I get into it, I'm going to like binge listen to all of the, the episodes. Shifting gears a little bit, I would love to hear what your day-to-day looks like. Are you in the lab? Are you mostly in writing mode? Kind of what your day-to-day life looks like as a grad student. I I, I thought about I've been thinking about this question um, when we were talking beforehand. And I'm just like, honestly, there is no, there. the days are so not similar. It's kind of crazy. Sometimes I am in the lab. Sometimes I am working from home and writing because I'm trying to do experiments, but also write a publication at the same time. So uh, it really depends um, on my cells because I work with cells and honestly, they run me. I don't run them because I can't control like how they grow. Um, The only stable things I can kind of tell you about it. You mentioned like the morning routine and the evening routine those are literally probably the only the two stable things that I have like in my day to day, in addition to like making sure I work out. Um, So like I said, I like to like journal in the morning. I like to do 10 to 12 minutes of just like quiet time meditation if I really want to, but sometimes I really just like to sit and enjoy the quiet because how often do you get to enjoy that? (laughs) And then I usually like to do coffee breakfast and I'll either like read a book that I I enjoy like for fun like not like for research or I listen to a podcast that will just like entertain me um and then in the evening it's very much the same like I I need to like wind down and again I read some more or I watch a funny show light a candle and make sure I'm just like very calm before I go to bed because if I don't then my mind is racing the entire night about the things that I didn't accomplish that day. So I I really need those like morning and evening routines to kind of ground me because I just like, I never know kind of sometimes what I'm going to end up doing that day. So as much as I try to like plan and schedule. Do you give yourself like a solid, like start and end time to your work day when you're working at home? I really try to stick to the nine to five or even like a 10 to five kind of feel um, because honestly, my brain's not going to function at 7 or 8 p.m. unless it really has to. Like if I have deadlines and things like that, then I'll, I have to. But if I don't have to, then usually 5 p.m. after that's when I do workouts, I cook dinner, I just like 
relax. Sometimes I'll like make posts for Instagram and things like that. That's what I reserve that time for. But I try to stick to the realistically it's 10 to 5. So <laughs> I try to stick to the 10 to 5 <laughs> life. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's what I found is like working from home. I get more done in a six hour day than like I would in the lab in like an eight hour day. So that's, yeah, I'm usually on kind of that 10 to 10 to five (laughs) schedule. So with the Sassy Scientist and with your coaching programs, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what you offer and how people can find you? Yeah, sure. So my coaching program is called Master Your Mindset. It is for first generation and women of color who are also in grad school working towards their PhD. And the whole like end goal for you in this program is to find your work-life balance so you can enjoy your PhD experience. Because I think previously a lot of the messaging that I've experienced with grad school is that it has to be miserable. And like we talked about I really want to be able to teach other women who are pursuing their PhD, like, no, like you're in control of your life. Like you can decide to have a good day and kind of work on things like that, like finding their confidence, motivation, and like staying focused in their program, but also having time for themselves and whatever else is important in their life. Awesome. And I love that that comes from you as like a fellow PhD student, you know, that it's not coming from someone who doesn't understand the PhD life and stuff. Right. Which is why I specifically made it for um, PhD students, because I have like invested in a bunch of like other coaches and programs and stuff like that. And I felt like they connected to me, but not fully because like they weren't in grad school or they never did grad yeah, school and things like definitely. that. So I tailored it specifically to fit that need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I know that was kind of similar with us starting the podcast is there's so much professional development and mindset stuff out there, but a lot of times it just doesn't apply to the the PhD situation. So I love that you have coaching specifically for that. So if somebody is interested, how should they reach out to you? What's the easiest way to talk to you about that the easiest way is to just dm me on instagram um which i think will be linked yes i can link all of that yeah right (laughs) yeah that's the easiest way okay awesome and then um i guess where do you see the sassy scientist going in the future do you have any like overarching goal for it or anything I know I (laughs) I didn't include this in the list of questions so we can skip it if you want no I've thought about this and Honestly, I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of along for the ride. I'm kind of like, I want to see where it goes and I, I want to see how it grows and I want to see how it will fit into my life, even when I'm finished with my PhD. So I guess we'll just have to see. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to record with me and just share all of your insight. I know there's so many PhD students out there who, need to to hear this and need to hear that it is possible to kind of shift your mindset and how much that can really help you in your day-to-day life. And I'm just so grateful that you share that because I know it's really helped me. And um, I know that you're definitely helping other students out there, PhD students and just other, you know, students in STEM. So thank you again for your time. And I just really appreciate you sharing everything. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me to come talk with you today.